This is Heads Up, where we explore the challenges, opportunities, and trends inside today's highest performing supply chain operations. Now to our host, CEO of Mountain Leverage, Alex Renneman. Hello, I'm Alex Renneman with the Heads Up Podcast, and I'm with Dr. Prakash Merchandani, who is a professor of business administration and the founding director the Center for Supply Chain Management at the Katz Graduate School of Business at the University of Pittsburgh. He holds a PhD in management from the Sloan School of Management at, at MIT, and his background is all over the place, spans across teaching, consulting, being published in leading academic journals. His research and interests include optimization models in various supply chain management contexts. Rakesh, you bring such an extensive knowledge of supply chain operations and, and management. So I'm really thankful you're on the program today. So thanks for showing up for us. Thank you so much, Alex. And thank you for the wonderful introduction. Uh, I really appreciate it. And it's, I think uh, we'll have a wonderful conversation. From what, uh, what I know about you, I think we'll have a wonderful conversation. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, and it's one of those things. So we there's... Because of your background and your broad uh, research and 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 learnings, we could really cover about anything. But you know, and, and of course, right now there's all this challenge and disruption. Whether it's COVID and the the customer behaviors that come with that, operational challenges, whatever it may be, all the excitement in the market, new technologies, all those things are out there. But often, I think it's it's kind of proven over time. You know, we find the the successful businesses who the, the businesses consistently perform at the fundamentals of business are the ones who end up being ultimately successful. And, and to ensure you're being successful and you're doing those things, you got some way to measure that, some kind of metrics, right? So can you, let, let's start, what are some of the ways if, if I'm listening and, and I'm running a business or running a, an organization within a business or I'm running my role within an organization that's, that's focused around supply chain, what are some of those performance metrics that I can look to to say, all right, now let's, let's, start, let's start ramping this up a bit and be able to, to improve our business? Yeah. So uh, I think, as uh, you mentioned, I think organizations use metrics to track their performance, uh, to benchmark their performance. They'll track their performance uh, longitudinally. And you also want to benchmark as to how you're doing relative to the competition. And there's a you know, uh, saying that uh, has been attributed to Peter Drucker. Some people attribute it to Deming, but that's not true, actually. I, I think the saying is important, but Drucker didn't say it. And Deming didn't say it. And the saying goes that if you can't measure that, then you can't improve it. Uh, I, I think whoever did, whoever came up with that, uh, that's that's true. There are lots of things that you can measure, and there are lots of things that you can't measure. But if you want to see how you're doing over time, you want to use these you know, metrics. And metrics can be quantitative. Metrics can also be qualitative. So if you think about uh, uh, quantitative metrics, they can be financial, they can be non-financial. They can be really focused. So when I say focused, they could be looking at a very detailed part of your organization, or they could be broad-based metrics. So we have metrics of uh, different uh, types. So one of the models in uh, operations that uh, uh, that uh, now uh, Association for Supply Chain Management uh, uh, uses is called the SCORE model, S-C-O-R, the SCORE model, Supply Chain Operations Reference Model. And in that model, they have metrics at different levels. Level one, level one, level one metrics are the most uh, broad-based. And uh, look at five different uh, 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 types of metrics. So there's metrics for reliability, metrics for responsiveness, 
metrics for cost, of course, that's really important for all of us. Metrics uh, that uh, measure uh, the asset efficiency. So asset efficiency is how you know, well are you using your assets? And the assets of different types in an organization. So how well do you use those uh, assets? And finally, they have uh, uh, metrics for agility. So as an example, if you think about metrics for um, reliability, there would be order fulfillment. How well do you fulfill orders? Is it perfect order fulfillment? Or is it 95%, 99%? What is the order fulfillment level? Similarly, for, for the cost is of, uh, the uh, most commonly used metric. If you think about asset uh, 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 management efficiency, then one of the metrics that they propose is cash conversion cycle. So that's a, that's a metric that is I see being increasingly used in practice. So we did some work with uh, one of our uh, one of my graduate students. So I thought it might be a good thing that uh, no for us to talk about. I, I think that's a great one. I mean, there's there's so many of those metrics that that can be listed up there, and and some folks sometimes it can feel so distant from someone's role in a company wherever they may be. But that metric's really not something they can impact or something they can, you know, they, they can watch and then, and then take action on. But this cash conversion cycle really impacts just about every role in a company. I, I'd love to dig in a little further about it. Can you, can you explore kind of what are we measuring when we look at that cash conversion cycle? So the, if you think about the name, cash conversion cycle, so the name is pretty self-explanatory. So the name says that, look, how long does it take for you to get, recover back the cash that you might have invested in the, at the procurement stage? So you know, organizations have um, you know, procurement and then processing and then distribution and then sales. So, uh, and the cash conversion cycle is a pan-organizational uh, metric. Goes through all these different uh, phases, comes up with one number for the organization, puts all, the, all these things together. It measures the liquidity of uh, your organization, the quicker you can recover back your cash, which means that the smaller that the cash conversion cycle is, the better off we are. So we want to have it low, as low as possible. Cash conversion cycle can be negative. So, and what it is, uh, so that's the, the, the overall the description of cash conversion cycle, but the way it is computed is it looks at uh, the days of receivables and compares that with uh, the sales that you have. And that, uh, sorry, the receivables with the sales that you have, the ratio that gives you the days of sales outstanding. Similarly, it computes the days payables outstanding and then the days of inventory outstanding. And yeah. uh, the cash conversion cycle uses these three days and comes up with one number. Gotcha. So, so days sales outstanding, days inventory outstanding, and days payable outstanding. Those come into this whole cash conversion cycle. And this is a measurement really of, of velocity of your cash in your business, right? I mean, um, yeah. So, so all right. So I get it. And, and I'm looking at it. I'm, a, I'm, I'm running a, a small organization within a large organization, or maybe I'm, I'm sitting on top, or, or maybe I'm, I'm, I'm somewhere in the mix. But how, how can I begin? Okay, now I see it. How can I take action to, to, to compress that cash conversion cycle. So every organization wants to convert uh, to lower its cash conversion cycle. So if you think about it, the cash conversion cycle is, uh, you know, uh, you, can, you can decrease the cash conversion cycle in many ways, but uh, 
It's uh, the cash commission cycle is days days of sales outstanding plus days of inventory outstanding minus days of payables uh, outstanding. So in order to decrease the cash conversion cycle, you can say, well, I want to decrease DSO. Okay, that will decrease the cash conversion cycle. How do you decrease DSO? You can collect your the receivables faster from your customers. That's one way of, uh, of uh, reducing the cash conversion cycle. Or because you're subtracting DPO to compute the cash conversion cycle, you can say you can increase the time that you take to pay your suppliers. The longer that you take to pay our suppliers, the lower would be your cash needs, cash conversion cycle would be lower. And that's something that companies do. If you have the power within the supply chain to do either of those two things, to receive, to get the money faster or to delay payments to your other suppliers, you can, uh, um, you can do that. And companies do do that. The problem with that is that uh, it's a zero-sum game in the sense that you are benefiting, your cash conversion cycle is going down if you uh, delay payments to your suppliers, but your supplier gets weakened, they get the money, They take it takes longer for them to recover their money. Their cash conversion cycle becomes longer. So if you think about the entire supply chain, from a supply chain perspective, these initiatives don't decrease the cash conversion cycle of the supply chain, they help individual units within the supply chain at the expense of other uh, units in the supply chain. So that's, uh, that's, that's something people do if they can, because they have the power, but it doesn't really help the supply chain. Yeah. So the other things that uh, one can do is, which is a third component, the inventory component, which is what I think we deal with more than the others, so we want to lower the amount of inventory. We want to increase the inventory velocity throughout the entire system. Manufacturing, distribution. In distribution, we use, no, and you are very familiar with this at your organization, to, to increase the value, or to increase the velocity with which um, the inventory is going through the distribution centers. And that will lower the cash conversion cycle, not just for you, for the other organization, but also for the supply chain. Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I, you know, the 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 payables and the sales outstanding. You're right. If if you aren't in in your business paying attention to that part of the cycle, you are part of the cycle. You're just part of somebody else's cycle. That's they're, right. They're shortening their fees. And and you know, we use this in our business precaution, and and we've used the the CCC for years. And it once we started implementing, I realized, oh, I see. You know, we are we are being we're the ones that are being drug out because they're they're compressing their their cash conversion cycle. And so, but 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 we found, you know, there is there is some measure you could apply with this where there's there's certain tolerances. You certainly don't want to put the, the screws to your to your suppliers too much, but there is a balance and an ebb and flow. But I love it that you point out that really doesn't improve the overall supply chain, but the inventory piece does. Uh, optimizing your inventory turns and and that's where. Uh, that, that's that's that that macro benefit that goes across the board. I I love that concept. So yeah, that's absolutely true. I think I think I think and every organization is focusing on inventory, right? Through uh, using better technologies, through better optimization models, through uh, you know working with your suppliers and with your customers in order to, with sharing information, through re redesigning your product to lower the amount of inventory that you have. But there's a choice that you have to make um, if, if uh, between the risk versus uh, uh, inventory level trade-off. Okay, so yeah. the, and many organizations realized that during the last 
know, especially during the last few months, that if you don't have enough inventory, then you cannot meet the customer uh, uh, demand. Now, there's one other way which has, you know, recently people have started using that relates with inventory, but it's also, it was interesting that you know, some of the larger blue chip companies, for example, Procter & Gamble used it, Dell used it, Apple used it, Boeing used it, and that's called supply chain finance. And what supply chain finance does is that um, it brings into play you have, the, you have the supplier and then you have the customer. This is Procter & Gamble, one of their suppliers. Then the third party that comes into play is the bank. And that's the supply chain finance bank. Citibank is big in this particular arena. HSBC is big in this arena. Uh, and what happens is that uh, the supplier sends the, the product to, the, um, to their customers, say Procter & Gamble, sends the invoice. And Procter & Gamble, once they have approved the invoice, they let the supply chain finance bank know that the that the invoice is good and the supplier can get paid by the bank before the customer Dr. and Gamble pays the bank. So using that Dr. and Gamble's cash commercial cycle comes down and the supplier's cash commercial cycle is not affected. So that's something that is used but recently FASB, which is the Federal Accounting Standards Board, they said that, look, this is something that uh, you know, companies are doing, say Procter & Gamble is doing, and other, other companies are doing as well. But uh, there is no transparency to the investor as to what is happening. Okay, Because what the, uh, what the company owes to the bank, after the bank has paid the supplier, what, and I call that the focal company, what the focal company owes to the bank, that amount, whether it's, is it uh, uh, debt, is it payables, what is it? Is it more, so it's not clearly defined in accounting with this, this new supply chain finance kind of initiative that has been done. So that's something that, uh, that companies do to reduce their, their the cash commercial cycle. Another thing from an inventory perspective, and this you might have uh, seen uh, uh, happening where people are using consignment inventory where um, you decouple the physical location of the inventory with the ownership of the inventory. So for example, the supplier might send the product to, uh, to uh, uh, the, the, the customer, the focal company, but the supplier still owns that inventory. Mm -hmm. It's available to the customer to use it. Once the customer starts using it, at that point in time, the ownership of the inventory gets transferred from the supplier to the user to the company. It happens in the grocery industry where you know, some of the uh, bread and the pop and so on, they're owned by the bakery until the time that you go to the cashier and you, when you make the purchase at the cashier, that's the point at which the ownership first transfers from the bakery to let's say in our play, Giant Eagle, which is a big uh, uh, supermarket in, in, in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, and uh, uh, and all and actually the eastern part of the US now. And so it gets transferred to Giant Eagle and then it gets transferred to uh, you as the end purchaser. Yeah. So there are lots that, of initiatives being taken place. Yeah, we, we see that in our customer base. We, a lot of folks are, are using that method. And, you know, it's interesting. I think people are sitting here listening to us because, okay, this is an accounting thing. This is a finance thing. But the reality is we go back to what you say about you just looking at the inventory piece. 
we have we oh, many of our customers who we help to we help optimize that that flow and 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 get accurate inventory those things i mean that everybody has a role to play in this yes certainly there is somebody tracking these metrics and they're probably in accounting or finance uh, or operations but the reality is this goes down to to every last person i mean a few more you, you miss a delivery, you, you send the wrong thing, that slows up your cash. Now there a payment's held. And I mean, it really affects everything. Um, and, it, and it goes down to the level of pretty much everybody in your organization. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really, a, really, really a pan-organizational measure. Absolutely right, Alex. Yeah, for sure. So you mentioned one of the things, it, it's really so um, inventory. So the, the just-in-time really got tested come, come March and April yeah, this year yeah. when, when COVID hit in, in, in the, the global side. But certainly here in the States, we felt it as well. And help us understand. So, all right, now something like this shows up on the scene. What? How does that affect the cash conversion cycle? And and then what, what measures can people take uh, in, in these extraordinary times? Yeah, I think uh, 2020 was, uh, I think, really challenging for supply chain. Right? It was challenging for everyone. But uh, uh, thinking about supply chains, when all of a sudden, for some products, the demand shot up, and we saw shortages in February, March of many products, many consumer products. And for many other products, uh, the demand came down drastically. Mm-hmm. And uh, now many retailers, they have, you know, they plan for their upcoming holiday season a year, a year and a half in advance, but thinking through product design and coming up with um, with um, with the suppliers setting up the supply chain, so and their demand came down, and and what happened was that companies responded very differently, depending on, um, of course, what your industry was. So, for example, there were companies that, uh, even though that they started paying their suppliers faster rather than slower, that went against uh, no, what we might think. That so, for example, Micron Technologies, which makes computer chips, they started paying their supplier faster. Uh, Lockheed Martin started paying the suppliers faster. So every and and then and then I'll give you an example where the company where companies started paying slower, and then we'll talk about why is it that companies start, responded so differently. So uh, Under Armour, and this was covered in. Uh, Street Journal, they took longer. They doubled the amount of time that they were taking to pay their suppliers. So why the difference? Why did Lockheed Martin start paying the suppliers faster and Under Armour uh, doubled the amount of time? So in the case of Under Armour, they found that uh, their the customers were taking longer to pay. And in order to keep their own liquidity, they were getting the money slower. They said, well, we'll delay our shipments to our the, uh, suppliers. In fact, one of their suppliers went bankrupt because they didn't get uh, their payments in time. That was unfortunate. But so, so that's what Under Armour did. Um, Lockheed Martin is a defense contractor. Now, the Pentagon did not want this the supply chain of the products that they were getting to be affected. So, what the Department of Defense what they decided was that we will pay. Our suppliers, like Lockheed Martin, like General Dynamics, um, when we send our orders, so we're not going to wait for the deliveries to to occur. We send the payment along with the orders. So Lockheed Martin got the payment quicker, and therefore, when they would send their orders to their suppliers, they would pay their suppliers. And the reason that the two 
that the companies responded in different ways was that in the case of Lockheed Martin, it's really difficult to reconfigure the supply chain to get the inventory flowing again. These are specialized suppliers. If any one of them fails because of poor liquidity, then it's going to take really a long amount, a large amount of time for them to uh, reconfigure the supply chain. So they wanted to make sure that the supply chain is really strengthened during these difficult times. Uh, so that's the approach that they took. In the case of Under Armour, it's, I think, uh, uh, given the fact that one of the suppliers failed and this supply chain still was, a, was able to operate, it's easier to, uh, to come up with alternate suppliers because the product is different. That's a, it's a really good point, and we saw that in some of our market. <clears throat> even folks, we, you know, sometimes folks were paying early, and 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 even sometimes way early, um, because they wanted the attention because the demand was so high. And if, right. if they were going to be a late payer, they might be a late shipper, <laughs> no, they might be yeah. a late, late yeah. receiver. And yeah. so you see that as well. So it's, it's, it, it, but, but, you know, this goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning when I said, look, we, we, we participate in that cash conversion cycle, whether we like it or not. And when you have good, good partnerships across the supply chain, you know, you got to be open to those ebbs and flows of, of those things as opposed to hard lines. And I think that's really insightful. And, and COVID-19, well, uh, COVID, when it hit, it really stressed a lot of things and how us evaluate depending on what market you're in. You're right. There's some markets. I mean, some of our food service customers really were suffering because restaurants were shuttered. Uh, whereas grocery customers were, they were trying to, to get a hold of product and get it out the door and get it to their stores um, really was a, a, a very challenge across the board. Um, well, what can kind of, as, as we're closing out here a little bit, this is a fascinating concept and I, I really would love to bring you on to cover some more topics as well. But what more would you say just kind of in general about about metrics or or about the cash conversion cycle that you think uh, the listeners and the, the folks watching uh, home and their organizations would like to know? So I think uh, just a cautionary note is what I would like to um, uh, say at, in closing. So we have, uh, now we all use metrics of different types, but sometimes you don't fully understand as to how are these metrics computed and what goes into the the, uh, the computation? What affects the metrics? Some of what affects these metrics are our actions, our decisions, what we do. Some of it is the competition that affects the metrics. But unless we understand what the underlying dynamics are, we might uh, end up either you know, patting ourselves on the back or we might start uh, taking in the, uh, improvement initiatives uh, without realizing that, look, those are not needed. So for example, cash conversion cycle. Cash conversion cycle we talked about earlier is the ratio of, uh, let's say, the accounts payables and the cost of goods sold. That's one of the components that goes into the cash conversion cycle. Now, accounts payables comes from the balance sheet. So that's a snapshot measure. Cost of goods sold comes from the profit and loss statements, and that's a flow measure. And we are taking this ratio. Whenever we have ratios in a cash in, 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 in any metric, and when we add these ratios, so you have you're adding three things, like right? you're adding the ratio DSO, uh, DIO, and DPO. You're adding three different ratios. Each of these ratios has a snapshot measure and has a, has a flow measure. So when we have situations like of this type, then it's the the uh, 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 cash conversion cycle gets affected by seasonality. So when are you taking the snapshot? Are you taking the snapshot in the peak season when the inventories may be high or in the low season? Okay. So that we are taking a snap, that gets affected. 
I mentioned that there's a flow measure. Now, the flow measure gets affected by the rate of growth of the company. And um, uh, so that, uh, again, it can have, it's not easy, not easy to describe in this kind of, uh, to what the, uh, the complicated uh, impact is of uh, changes in the cash, in the uh, growth rate, in the um, uh, fiscal year ending, and in the seasonality. So those three factors together combine to affect the cash commission cycle. And that's the research that uh, I've done with one of my doctoral students, amongst many other things. Uh, so we looked at uh, uh, the major retailers in the US, looked at 12 years worth of data, and then we tried to see, well, if let's say it's uh, a target that makes a comparison with Walmart and with uh, Amazon, okay, which are the uh, competitors, or, and, and Costco. So the fiscal year end of uh, Target and Walmart is 31st of January, which is after the peak is over. For Amazon, the fiscal year end is 31st of December, which is, no right after the holiday season is over. Mm -hmm. And for Costco, the fiscal year end is 31st of August, which is before the peak season. And those, when you take the measurement, that's going to affect the amount of inventory that you have, what the payables that you have, the receivables that you have, and that affects the CCC. So unless, if you're target, unless we take that into account, we will end up making incorrect decisions. So that's what I would you know, like to conclude Met the conversation about this I think that's super wise. When when we ever internally, when we're looking at any metrics or incentives, and certainly with our customers, we're trying to optimize their their business. Man, those are powerful things, and you got to know what the effects are, and and when you're measuring to take that snapshot to then make those metrics off of, it can make all the difference. I think that's really good advice. Um, as we're closing out here, I love to ask people, especially someone as as uh, as, as researched and broad as you are in this topic. What's man? Doesn't be be confined to supply chain or whatnot, but What's a, a book, a podcast, some kind of resources you've used or come across in your time that you just say, hey, look, this is this is what you'd like to recommend to folks? Yeah, it's great that you are asking that question because um, I have been reading this book. Uh, it's, this is the book that my uh, uh, sons gave me for Christmas. I don't know whether you've uh, seen this book. It's called Humans. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So it's... Uh, it's uh, a book about life, okay, about not about people's lives, and uh, so the author he went and uh, to forty different countries, uh, and he interviewed common everyday people. So, what are their hopes? What are their uh, fears? What are the they um, planning to achieve? What are their ambitions? And um, and it's just you no know, easy. It's you no know, there's a picture, and then there's a short write-up about people from all over the world. And you realize, you really, really realize that what is important in life from other people's perspective. Okay, what do they, what do they care about? What is the thing that they want to you know, do today? What are they aiming for in the future? So it, I think it's a really, that, that's a book that I've been reading. It's, uh, it opens your, I think, uh, eyes to the world. Just yeah. looking at, uh, reading about what people are. I love it. I haven't read that one. I, I thought it was another one I looked, but it's it's a humans it's, it's, by, by Brandon Stanton. Um, that's right. That's yeah, right. Uh, that looks right. interesting. I'll have to add that to my list. Yeah. I have not read yeah. that one. So, so thank yeah. you. Right. 
what one other thing I like to ask, and in and whether it's in the midst of of 2020, now we're in 2021. If it's if it's COVID, if it's whatever, I love to ask something for which you're grateful. I mean, there's there's always doesn't matter what's going on, and I'm not making light of anybody's challenges, but there's always something for we can point to and say, I'm grateful for this thing. And what what would that be for you? I think for me it would be health. Okay, so. Um, uh, health personally, and I hope that everyone is healthy. I think if health, if people don't have health, people don't have peace, uh, then everything else is, uh, uh, nothing else is important. Right? At the next stage, there might be prosperity and money and happiness, That, but health is, I think, the core for me, and I'm really grateful for the, for, the, for that. I hope that everyone remains healthy during these difficult times, but I, I think that's that's really, really important. Yeah, that's great. I, I am grateful for that as well. And I'm grateful for you coming on and talking to us today and offering your insights. I'd love to have you back sometime. Dr. Prakash Merchandani uh, at, the, at the Cat School of Business. Great. Thank you. And good luck with all you do. And we'll hope to have you on again soon. Thank you so much, Alex. Thanks for tuning in to Heads Up, a Mountain Leverage production with your host, Alex Renneman. Be sure to subscribe to catch future episodes as we dive into all things logistics and optimization.